You know, these are times in life where, you know, it's what we call the reality check. Um, you, you, you realize uh, most of what we waste our time <laughs> thinking about and uh, spending our time doing is just that. It's a waste of time. And uh, th- this is a, a great reminder of the reality of life and death, heaven and hell. And um, you may have heard me say this before, but, and this may sound morbid at first, but whenever I've been invited to do a funeral for someone and, you know, we've never had an open casket here because we don't want, that's not the point, right? We want to celebrate the fact they're in heaven, not dwell on their earthly shell. But oftentimes we'll go to funeral homes where they have an open casket and I'll, you know, typically that kind of freaks people out, some people. And I purposely make myself go up there and stare in the face of that person to just to wake me up and go, this is real. That's going to be me someday. And, and, and what, is gonna, what, is, what is my life going to be about? What, what's going to be my legacy? What, what's my funeral going to be like? You know, and um, it just, just kind of rocks me because sometimes I just get lulled into an apathetic, kind of just going through life and thinking about worldly things more than spiritual things and lose focus. And this is, this is a really good opportunity to refocus for all of us, whether you're old or young. And, uh, you know, a couple of things I think about are praise God for the hope of heaven. Amen? Praise God for the hope of heaven that, that, that George knows while it's hard and it's painful to say goodbye, he's not saying goodbye, he's saying see you later. And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we're all going to be caught up with the Lord someday. If you're in Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, we're going to see Jeannie again. And that's what the Bible says. It says, comfort one another with these words. The comfort, the hope is, this is not goodbye, it's see you later. So praise God for the hope of heaven. Being in that waiting room and seeing all the, the pain and the grief, the heartbreak, the sobbing of a, of a, de- of a husband, of a, of a son, of a daughter, of a grandson, it, 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 just, uh, it just made me mad at sin. Because ultimately, what happened today is the result of sin. And I'm not saying Jeannie's sin or anyone else's sin in the family. I'm just talking about sin in general. That sin is, we live in a sin-cursed world. And that's why there's pain. And that's why there's grief. And that's why there's tears. And that's why there's death. And there's no escape in that. As long as we're here on planet Earth, that's just life on a sin-cursed planet that uh, there'll be times of pain and heartbreak and, and uh, you just, you just kind of say, Lord, why would I ever sin ever again? You know, it should, it should give us a hatred for sin because we see its effects. Um, and obviously, I think we, it, it just reminds us of the transitory nature of life, the brevity of life, um, 
I couldn't help but think of what it says in the book of James. James chapter 4, just listen. Verse 13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. That's, that's how we live life. We, we, we make plans, for, don't we? We make plans for the future and where we're going to go to college, where we're going to go on vacation, where we're going to go out to dinner this Friday night. Um, what are we going to do tomorrow? We had our whole day planned out for the most part today. and So we make plans. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's normal. That's natural. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And uh, this is a good reminder of that, isn't it? Um, I like what Moses said in Psalm 90, talking about the transitory nature of life and how we're all like grass that sprouts up and then withers away. And and he says this, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. So most of us will live out our life 70, 80 years. But then he says this, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's a great exhortation, right? That if we truly know, if we understand, hey, we don't have tomorrow promised. I could have my whole life planned out for me, but guess what? I don't know. We make our plans. The Lord directs our steps. I don't know what the Lord's will is, the Lord's plan is for my life. And so... That's why we said a few months back, if the Lord wills, right? Lord willing, that's a good thing to kind of get into your vocabulary and into your heart. That I recognize the fact that I'm making all these plans, but that may not be what the Lord wills. That's okay. He can change my plans anytime he wants to. But he says, teach us to number our days. What does that mean? We'll count up, let's see, how many days am I? No, he's saying just realize that your days are numbered. And from our perspective, we don't know how many days the Lord's ordained for us, right? He ordains the day of our birth and the day of our death. That's completely up to Him. We got no say in any of those, either of those. But teach us the number of days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, that we would live wisely. We would live wisely, not foolishly. We wouldn't waste our lives. Uh, we would make the most of our lives. And um, we just got done watching the Stanley Cup final. At least some of us who like hockey. Uh, watch the Stanley Cup final. And in, 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 uh, in hockey, there's a thing called sudden death overtime. And uh, whenever, when it's the, the teams end in a tie, right? And... and uh, and so then basically it's the next point wins, right? Whoever scores next wins. How do, they, how do the, those players play during sudden death overtime? Out of control, right? They are given everything they got because they know this is it. Someone's going to win this thing. And, and so they're giving it all they've got. Even if they're dead tired, they're going to get out there and they're going to skate till they can't skate anymore. 
And, and so in reality, that's the way our lives are. We're, we're, it's not like we got the game, oh, we've got four quarters left. This is just the first quarter. Some of you young people are like, well, I'm just in the kind of the first quarter of my life, you know, and, uh, or the first, some of us a little in mid eight. well, I'm, we're in the second period now. I've got, I still got the third period. I can catch up. I'll get serious when I get to the fourth quarter, right, with the Lord. Well, that's not how our life is. Our life is not three periods, four quarters. It's sudden death overtime because you never know when it's going to end, right? And so I think that's a, a, a sobering reminder for us, but also an encouragement to spur us on and say, hey, let's make the most of the days that God's given us. We don't know how many he's going to bless us with, but let's make the most of them. And, and as we've said, why does the Lord leave us here? Why didn't he take Jeannie home the day she got saved years ago? Why? Because he had other people on this planet that he wanted to use, Jeannie Hepner, to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As she sang his praises, if you will, for saving her soul, that uh, God would use her to bring others to Christ, to, that God wanted her to be salt and light. And when you think about what, what does it mean to live wise, okay, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Live wisely. Well, what, what is the way to live wisely? The way to live wisely is to be salt and light in this world for as long as the Lord gives you. And, and those of you that, those of us that know George and Jeannie, uh, that describes them. They, they have been salt and light. And so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what would Jeannie want tonight? Jeannie would want the show to go on, if you will. Not the show, but the preaching of the word to go on. She wouldn't want us just to sit here and feel sorry for them or us and ourselves, but to, to, to learn something from her life, her testimony. And so I think in, in honor of Jeannie, we can go to the God's word and say, hey, let's look at this concept of salt, salt of the earth. And, and what are we talking about here? And uh, because I think this is really in many ways a tribute to her because that's what she has been. And so, take your Bibles and just turn to Matthew 5 for a moment. And I know it's going to be hard to listen. It's hard for me to preach. I don't really feel like preaching right now. But I think we can honor the Lord just looking in His Word. And hopefully, I'm going to trust the Lord that as we just look, just walk through some texts here, that God will use His Word to minister to our souls, comfort our hearts, maybe even convict us. But we started off this series a couple weeks ago looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It's our text for the summer. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, if you've noticed, whenever we've announced this series or somebody's talked about this series, they haven't just called it hey, we're doing a series on salt. What, what have they always said? On salt and light. And really, you can't separate verse 13 from verses 14 to 16. In fact, in hindsight, I'm thinking maybe we should have just called this thing salt and light because that's what everybody keeps saying because we know in our hearts that these things go together. 
And so notice what comes immediately after this, this, uh, this analogy of salt. He, he changes pictures here, images. Jesus goes from salt to light. Again, to describe what he wanted his disciples to be and do. He wants us to be salt and he wants us to be light. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Great picture there of, you know, what's the purpose of a light? It's not like, hey, it's, it's dark in here. Let's light a light. And now let's go cover it up with a trash can. Uh, That defeats the purpose of the light. The light was to brighten up the room. And in fact, you put a light, when the power goes off, you put the light as high up in the room as possible because it gives off the most, what? Light. You don't hide it underneath the bed or put it somewhere low. You put it up high. And that's what he's saying. Hey, put put the light up on the hill that you as as, as, as disciples, my disciples, followers of me, the church, you are to be like a city set up on a hill. You ever been driving in the night and uh, all of a sudden you're, something catches your eye and, and you look and there's just like all these bright lights up on a hill? You can't miss it, right? Because it's not just a city off in the distance, man. It's a city set on a hill. And uh, in other words, everyone sees it. And, and that's his point. Notice he says, verse 16, he makes the transition, let your light Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So in the same way a city catches everyone's attention, a city set on a hill catches everybody's attention, you need to let your light shine. Don't, Don't hide it under, remember when we were little? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Remember that song? Okay, maybe I'm the only one saying that song. But that's true. It's a great concept. Don't you light a light. Don't hide it under a bushel. Let it, let it out. And again, this is talking about our witness to the world around us. That um, in the same way, there's the salt shaker syndrome. Remember I talked about that the first week where this, this church is kind of like a salt, big old salt shaker. And here we are, little pieces of salt. And we're all in here. And it's all cozy and warm. And we like it. And it's safe and comfortable. But guess what? That's not why God created salt, to stay in the salt shaker. Salt's no good unless you shake it onto your food, right? Or put it on your wound to heal that. Whatever it is that the salt's doing, salt serves a purpose, but it doesn't accomplish that purpose as long as it's in the the salt shaker. And so guess what? We need to get poured out of this place. We need to come in, get equipped, get trained, and then we pour out of here into the community as salt, like a, being shaken all over this community. Um, that, that's the point. Well, there's also the, you know, it's like we got a light in here and we're like, hey, let's keep it to ourselves, right? No, this is not for us to stand around the fire and go, ooh, isn't this fun? And we got this light. Isn't this wonderful? Jesus is the light and we're going to just worship the light. And that's all we ever do is worship the light of Christ, no, that's all a means to an end, right? To go out and share Christ, bring the light out there. That's the idea. Now, with that as a background, just turn over to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, and I just want to look at a passage here that 
I'm sure it's familiar to most of you. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And Peter's writing to Christians who are being who have been scattered all over Asia Minor. They're, they're experiencing persecution because of their commitment to Christ. And so they're be, being treated harshly and unjustly by non-believers, by the Gentiles, by, by uh, pagans that, that hate them because they're Christians. And so Peter was writing to them to encourage them. <clears throat> and, and this is what he said. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our purpose statement here at Lakeside Bible Church is that we exist to glorify God by proclaiming and living His Word so that people come to know Christ and grow to be like Christ. It's very important that we didn't just say we exist to glorify God by proclaiming His Word. It's more than just proclaiming. We also have to what? Live it. You may have heard the expression, it's really cool. Uh, I've seen it on plaques and pictures and things like that. And it just simply says, preach the gospel. And then in small print, and use words if necessary. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. In other words, we're preaching the gospel all the time by the way we're living our lives, salt and light. And so we see this here. What, what, is, what is our purpose? So that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And, and really, what, what Peter's doing here is he's encouraging these persecuted Christians, um, really wanting to inspire them to live holy lives that bear witness to God's mercy and power, which transform them from darkness to light and to let other people know how they can be transformed from darkness to light. And so the two encouragements here are basically verse 9, first part of verse 9 and 10, are our great privilege. We have a great privilege. Some of us... I think, have a wrong perception of, of uh, evangelism and sharing the gospel and being a witness for Christ. Like, oh, it's an obligation, it's a responsibility. It is true. It's not like, hey, it's just the evangelists, the people who have the gift of evangelism. Those are the people that do all the legwork out there and the rest of us will wait for them to, wait for the fishermen to get back and then we'll take, care, take it from there, right? We, we know that some have the gift of evangelism, and some just it just it just comes natural. It's just, but that doesn't mean they're the only ones supposed to be evangelists. They're the only ones that are supposed to share the gospel. We're all we all have the responsibility to share the gospel with other people. But notice in this text, it's it's not presented by Peter as a responsibility, but as a what? A privilege. 
It's a privilege to share the gospel. He says, but you, in contrast to those who stumble in verse 8, because they're disobedient to the word, and this, to this doom they were also appointed. In other words, the people uh, who stumble over the Lord Jesus Christ and they reject him because they're disobedient to God's word and they'll be destined, they're destined for eternal destruction. He said, that's not you. You, on the other hand, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. Now, in your Bibles, you may notice that there's some big letters there, right? It's all in caps, which tells us that he's, uh, Peter's quoting from the Old Testament. And so these are four Old Testament terms that originally referred to who? Nation of Israel. And now he's using them to describe who? Us, Christians, the church. And so he's explaining here our privileged position as believers in Christ. We are a chosen race. In other words, God has sovereignly chosen us for salvation. We see here the doctrine of election, a chosen race. God called his people of Israel a chosen people, my chosen people. Um, And so we're a chosen race, a chosen group, a group that God selected to, to, to be born again and to be salt and light in this world. And then we're a royal priesthood. I think this is interesting the priests were the only ones in the Old Testament who had direct access to God. They, they were the only ones allowed to offer sacrifices to God. But what is he saying here? That we, as believers in Christ, have the privilege of having direct access to God. That is a huge privilege. And serving him in the same way that the Old Testament priests did. You may have heard this expression, the priesthood of all believers. Have you heard of that? Something that the reformers came up with, Martin Luther. In other words, why do we have one priest standing up in front, doing everything, standing up, eating the thing, giving out everything, reading the Bible, and we just sit there, stand up, sit down, kneel down, open our mouths. And and so it was all about the priest. He said, no, 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 the Bible talks about the priesthood of all believers, that we all should have a part in the ministry. And he calls us a royal priesthood, which means we all have the power and the rights and the privileges of being a part of the royal family over which God reigns as the king. Now, we've been watching a lot about the royal family, right? They're having babies and they're getting married and getting engaged and all this kind of stuff. And they make a big deal about the royal family. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, man, I wish I was part of the royal family. Man, they get the royal treatment. They get the royal this, royal that. Well, guess what? We are part of a royal family. And God is our king. And we are princes and princesses in that sense. And so we're a royal priesthood. Also, it says we're a holy nation. We have the privilege of being a group of people set apart from the rest of the people. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. God has made a distinction between us and the rest of the world. And, And as a result, guess what? We need to be holy. We need to live holy. We need to live differently than the rest of the world. If we have been set apart from the world, we need to live in such a way that we're set apart, not self-righteous, we're better than you, but that we need to live radically different. And we're going to see why that's so important in just a second. And then it says we're also a, a people for God's own possession. In other words, we've been bought with a price. 
God purchased us so we belong to him. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. Your life is not yours to live any way you want, but to live for him. He bought it. He owns you. And then look at verse 10. Just jump down there for a second. For you were once not a people. He's using the same words, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, he's saying it wasn't always like this, but you've been shown mercy. God didn't give you what you deserved, but he forgave you instead. Almost everything that Peter wrote here in these two verses was a direct quote from the Old Testament. Just listen, I'm going to read you Deuteronomy chapter 7 and tell me if this is not almost exactly what he's, Peter said. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. This is God, God speaking to, or Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth, on all the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. You're a little dinky nation. Nothing special about you but because the Lord loved you and kept his oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Again, these words and phrases that solely and specifically applied to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, now Peter's using to describe the church and the New Testament. In others, we enjoy the same privileges previously reserved for Israel. Why is that? Because God blessed the nation of Israel with the incredible privilege of being a holy nation, which God set apart for what purpose? Remember? To be a light. Oh, a light. A light to the Gentiles. They were to be his witness nation. They were the select special group of people through whom he could show off his power, his glory to all the other nations. In fact, Isaiah 49.1 says, You are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. And yet, despite having been chosen to serve in this privileged position as God's ambassadors, what did they do? They forfeited that privilege through their recurring rebellion in the form of idolatry and immorality, and they worshiped false gods, and, and, and they intermarried, and they did all sorts of things. And so they ended up blending in with the rest of the world. And guess what? God had made them what? Did he want them to blend in, or did he want them to stick out? He wanted them to stick out. Does he want you to blend in, or does he want you to stick out? He wants you to stick out. So what did he do? Well, well, they blended in because they blended in with the rest of the world. Hey, we'll just worship their gods. We'll just marry their women. They lost their distinction. And guess what? They lost their influence. When they lost their distinction, they lost their influence. And they were like salt that was good for nothing. They were like a light that had been, you know, a basket was put over the light. And so God 
for lack of a better word, shelve them for a time, for a season, and found another group of people that he could entrust with the responsibility of being a witness for him in this world. Guess who that is? The church. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. And so God's handed over Israel's ambassador assignment to us, to the church. And we are to be and do what Israel was meant to be and do. Now, that doesn't mean that the church is Israel. For those of you with covenantal leanings in here tonight, don't say, preach on, brother, I love it. Sounds good. The church is the new Israel. No, we're not the new Israel. While there are many similarities between Israel and the church, there are, there are enough differences to keep them distinct from each other. So we are like Israel, but we are not Israel, okay? We're like Israel, but not Israel. We don't have time to get into the whole covenantalist, dispensationalist view of church and Israel. But the point is this. The church's replacement of Israel is only temporary. Israel still plays a key role in God's future plans for the world. But until they repent, and we know that from the Old, Te- from the Old Testament prophets and, and the book of Revelation, there's going to come a day when Israel will repent and place their faith in the one that they crucified. When he comes again, and we as Christians have the great... Until that happens, until that happens in the end times, we, we have been given the great privilege of showing off God's glory to the world. That's our privilege. And so that's really the first encouragement is he's saying, hey, you need to understand your great privilege. But not only do you have a privilege, you have a purpose. You have a great purpose. And, and really this great privilege carries great responsibility. If you're a Spider-Man fan, classic line, Uncle Ben laying there dying on the street, and what does he say to Peter? With great power comes great responsibility. So what's, what, what is that responsibility? What is that purpose? Well, he says it right, right here. You are a chosen race, a royal police, and a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, purpose, here it is, so that... You may what? Can't hear you. Pro, is anybody out there? Proclaim. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you might tell forth that which would otherwise be unknown. Literally, that word proclaim means to advertise. Do you realize that you are a walking advertisement for God? You're a living, breathing billboard for God? You're a commercial for God? The question is, what is your life telling others about God by what we say, by what we do? What, what are we advertising about God? But the question is, well, what does he want us to advertise? What does he want other people to know about him? Well, what does it say? That we may proclaim the, I love this, excellencies of him. Talking about all of his attributes. You could just say all of his attributes. All of his character qualities. That word literally, excellencies, refers to his ability to do heroic acts, his power, his glory. 
So we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He saved us from a life of ignorance and immorality. Before God intervened in our lives, we were completely unable to understand truth or live right, but now he's given us the ability to understand the truth and also to live the truth. Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from, this is talking about Christ, Christ delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So here you have the purpose. Why, why did God save you? God's purpose for choosing you, setting you apart for his own possession. He, he didn't just save us so we could go to church every Sunday and Wednesday to grow in Christ and then die and go to heaven. No, his purpose was to reveal his heroics to others through our lives. Basically tell others what the, the miraculous things, the heroic things, the amazing grace that God demonstrated in our lives. We get to tell other people that. That's why we're here on earth. Paul Acts 26, 18, love this. This is kind of, hey, he got why he was on this earth. He said, God called me to open up their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul got it. Peter got it. The question is, do we get it? Do we get it? You're like, hey, this sounds so familiar. Like, maybe the broken record here of our summer super study, right? God's chosen us, saved us. He wants us to serve him by sharing the message of salvation so that others who have been chosen by him can repent and believe as well. Well, guess what? Do you forget that sometimes? I do. And so I think this is something we need to be regularly reminded of. And God had to remind Israel over and over and over again that he had chosen them, that he had delivered them out of Egypt for the reason to be a light. And, and they just kept forgetting and falling into sin. And that's exactly what we do. And even though they were, they were and will someday be once again, the most privileged people on the planet, they were unfaithful to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. And we trust that that will be our testimony. You say, hey, how do I do this practically? Well, let me give you one example. Notice just practical application here, verse 11. Just follow the flow of Peter's thoughts here. Beloved, I urge you, okay, I'm, I'm telling you that you're a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy, holy nation, people of God's own possession, so you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, what does that look like? Well, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, don't forget this is not your home. Live with the mindset that you're an alien, you're a stranger, that you are bound for heaven. And therefore abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. In other words, fight against those sinful tendencies that we all have just to give into our flesh and just to do what our flesh wants. And that's just what the world's doing. 
They're, they're just out doing whatever they want, whatever, they, whatever feels good, they do it. Real easy way for you to live a holy life that's set apart, that catches other people's attention, is, is abstaining from fleshly lusts, which, which, which wage war against your soul. The world views this planet as a playground. We as Christians view it as a battleground. And so, don't give in to your flesh like everyone else. That'll cause people to take notice. Wow. Why don't you do that? Why don't you go there? Why don't you drink that? Why don't you, right? It'll get people to ask you questions. It'll pique their curiosity. Why are you so different? Like everybody else is doing this, and, and young people especially, well, that's just what young people do. That's, that's the season of life. They do all that stuff, and you don't do all those things that the rest of the teenagers in this world are doing. And, and people are like, what's up with you? What makes you different? And guess what? That's when you get to proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice he says, keep your behavior Anastrophe in the Greek there, I love that word. Keep your anastrophe, your behavior, excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice he's not saying anything about, hey, now you got to get out on the street corner with a handful of tracks and start handing out tracks to everybody. That's how you proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. That might be a, one way to do it, but he's saying, hey, you know what? How about you just start, and start by living a holy life? You, you start living, your behavior is so excellent among the Gentiles. In other words, you're, you're, you, you, the way you act, the way you talk around unbelievers is so amazingly different. It's so righteous. It's so obedient to the word of God that they may slander you, say all sorts of bad things about you, and yet because of your good deeds, in other words, because of the things you do, because of the things you say, as they watch them, they will ultimately glorify God in the day of visitation. Some commentators say that day of visitation is the day when God visits them in just judgment. That everyone is going to, we all know that, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, right? Someday people will be forced to bow, forced to give glory, glory to God. I think it might be better to interpret this as when he says glorify God in the day of visitation this is talking about when the Spirit of God visits them and regenerates their soul because of your witness. That they're going to glorify God. They're going to be like, wow, that's what, I get it now. That's what makes you different. And so our lifestyle is a, is a powerful means of, of convicting the world of their sin. And, 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 and when we march to the beat of a different drummer, it's like, like, whoa, that's, I haven't heard that before. I haven't seen that before. And they might make fun of us and say, ha, whatever, you know. But the point is, at the end of the day, they'll be like, you know what? I want, I want what you got. And they'll end up giving glory to God and get saved. 
And we come full circle here because we started off in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, good deeds, 1 Peter 2, good deeds, good works here, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Peter, he was there. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. And he's pretty much re-preaching it here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And saying, hey, let people see your good deeds. It'll be like salt. It'll be like light. And people will end up glorifying God um, as a result. Oftentimes, it's the winsomeness of our lives that Christ uses more than the persuasiveness of our words. Sometimes it's the winsomeness of our lives that God uses to save others more than the persuasiveness of our words. People may not be wooed by the eloquence of our speech, but they may be wooed by the radiance of our behavior, the way we live our lives. So those of you who are like, I'm scared, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, guess what? You are sharing the gospel every day by the way you're living your life. And we can help you learn some of the words to say. But it starts by just living a holy life that you would live to tell. One of my favorite songs growing up was a song by Jeff Moore and uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. They, they co- collaborated on, this, on these lyrics Live to tell. It goes like this. Someone is watching. Someone is listening. Dying to know what we know so well. It will help them believe it if in us they see it. That's why we must live to tell. And then the chorus goes like this. I will live to tell of the one who has rescued my heart. I will live to tell of the one who can bring a new start. Take my life and let it be a reflection of you for the whole world to see. The God who is alive and well, I will live to tell. I hope that is your passion, that's your prayer. God, would you help me to live to tell? Let's pray. Father, this has been a unique night, unlike most nights when we're here together. And we've had a huge burden on our hearts and maybe even a distraction to our minds in listening to your word taught tonight. But we just trust you, Lord, that, that you're in all of this, and we thank you that, that when, when, when the rug gets pulled out from under us unexpectedly, we can always go back to your word and, and find truth there to encourage our hearts, to comfort our hearts, to instruct our hearts to stabilize, Lord, and provide a foundation for our our feet to stand on when everything seems to be falling apart around us. And Lord, thank you for uh, Jeannie and just the way that she was everything we talked about tonight. She, she, She truly lived to tell. And she was a great witness for Christ. She was truly salt and light. And, uh, Apparently, 
you were done using her in that regard, and uh, it was time for her to come home to be with you. And I know that she's going to hear, if she hasn't already heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And I pray that all of us would have the joy of hearing that someday, that as we seek to just be faithful to you every day, to live holy and pure lives uh, so that we can uh, have a platform to share Christ and his transforming power uh, with others. We just ask that you would help us now to honor you in our response to all that we've heard, all that we've seen, all that we've experienced tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.